Hello, listeners. Welcome back. You're listening to Kaya's English podcast. Today, in episode three, we are going to talk about the best places to visit in Tashkent. I just said we. I should have said I because today it's just going to be me. In the next episode, I will interview my friend, so it will be we. Let's get started. Today, I'm going to talk about the best places to visit in Tashkent, Uzbekistan. Before I do that, let me take one minute to just recap about who I am, because some of you might have forgotten, right? Some of you might be thinking, "Oh, who is she again? What's her name?" My name is Kaya. It's not Aya. It's not Raya. It's not Maya. It's not Haya. It's not Laya. It's Kaya. Some people or many people call me Aya by mistake, and I always have to remind them I'm Kaya. And by the way, I'm not Raya, the Raya in Raya and the Last Dragon. Have you guys seen that Disney movie? I've seen it. I I saw it two months ago on the airplane when I was flying from Japan to Uzbekistan. It was all right. It was it was all right. Yeah, the the visuals were nice. The music I remember. Was there music in that movie? I don't remember. Anyway, I'm not Raya. I don't um, go around looking for dragons. I do other things. I I run a podcast, and I think that's way cooler than traveling with a dragon, or maybe just as cool as traveling with a dragon. My name is Kaya. Kaya and the podcast. All right, Kaya. <clears throat> and I speak four languages. I speak English, Japanese, Russian, and Uzbek. English and Japanese, I speak fluently as a native speaker. Russian, I speak at C1 level. That's advanced level. Uzbek, I speak at B1 or B2 level. That's intermediate. Therefore, I am a polyglot. Polyglot is a noun and an adjective. When it's used as a noun, it means a person who knows many languages. When it's used as an adjective, it means knowing, using, or written in more than one language. At university, I also studied German, Polish, Serbian, Ukrainian, and Gaelic. My next goal is to brush up my German. Learning a new language. Opens up a whole new world because when you speak a different language, the neurons in your brain are working differently. The different pathways are opening up. Different neurons are sparking inside your skull, which means that when you speak a new language, you get to see the world from a completely new and fresh perspective. Your actions, your feelings, your emotions. Your psychology, or should I say, psychological state, your decisions, maybe even the way you interact with the people around you, changes depending on what language you are speaking. It's very interesting how language can influence us at such a deep level, at such a subconscious, even maybe an unconscious level, and even and language can even impact our decision-making process. It's very interesting to. It's interesting, and I, that's why I love learning new languages. I get to see the world from a fresh and new perspective each time I learn a new language. 
It's like being able to be a little child again. You're seeing the world as a child would, and everything is new, everything is fresh, everything is mysterious and interesting and unknown because it is unknown. It is interesting. That was my short introduction. And now let's jump into the topic. The topic is the best places to visit in Tashkent. Before I tell you about that, I should tell you a little bit about Uzbekistan because Tashkent is the capital city of Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan is a large country located in Central Asia, in the heart of Central Asia. It's where the Silk Road used to pass through back in back uh, many thousands of years of years ago, a long time ago. In Uzbekistan, there are twelve provinces, and each province is unique because each province has a distinct dialect, customs. And cuisine. If you eat plov in Tashkent, you will eat the Tashkent version of plov. Plov is basically steamed rice with vegetables and meat. If you go to Samarkand, you will taste the Samarkand version of plov, which will be slightly different. They will use slightly different ingredients, slightly different spices, etc. By the way, in Uzbekistan, they have huge fruits, huge vegetables. And they also have. Wait for this. Wait. They also have yellow carrots. <laughs> yellow carrots. What? I know. It was also my first time to see yellow carrots. I was like, oh, what am I gonna see next? Purple carrots? No, they don't have purple carrots. They have red carrots, like ev- everyone else does, and yellow carrots. Tashkent plov is usually made from yellow carrots. But they also sometimes use red carrots. The language, as I mentioned, also is quite different depending on where you are. For example, the pure version of the Uzbek language, whatever pure means, is supposed to be the dialect that is spoken in the Fergana Valley. The Fergana Valley is located in the eastern part of Uzbekistan, and it's also where people are the most religious. The Fergana Valley is quite monocultural. Most people there are Uzbeks, and they are very religious. They don't drink alcohol. They don't drink, and they speak the so-called pure, standard version of Uzbek. If you go to the other side of the country, if you go to the western part of Uzbekistan, you will be in Khorasan Province. In Khorasan Province. People speak a dialect of Uzbek that has strong Turkmen influence, which means that even the greetings, even simple greetings and simple words, are different from the Uzbek that is spoken in other parts of the country. Thus, if someone from Tashkent were to travel all the way to Harazm, he or she might have a difficult time understanding the Uzbek that is spoken there, because even simple greetings are different. And let's go next to the geography or of the geographical makeup of Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan. When you hear the name Uzbekistan, those of you who do know the name probably think of deserts and camels and the Silk Road and old men wearing、uh, turbans. And that's true. Some parts of Uzbekistan are very flat, very like you know covered in desert. 
very dry with camels walking on it. So it looks like a postcard from the Middle East. That's true. But in other parts of the country, there are a lot of mountains and people love hiking. People love going to the mountains. In the summer, during June, July, and especially August, Uzbekistan is very hot. The temperature can go up to 40, 50, sometimes even 60. I said 60, yes, degrees Celsius. Therefore, people don't walk on the streets. Well, they do walk on the streets. But what do people do? Do they escape to the ocean, to the beach? Well, that's not possible because Uzbekistan is a landlocked country. If a country is landlocked, it's surrounded by land. It is. It does not have an ocean. It does not have access to the ocean. People can't go to the ocean. People can't go to the beach. So what do they do? They go to the mountains during the summer. Almost everyone has a cottage in the mountains. During the summer, during the hot and dry season, Uzbeks go to their summer house in the mountains to chill and escape the heat of the cities. Because of these mountains, it used to be very difficult to travel between villages and towns in the past. Today, thankfully, there is a very developed railroad system, a railroad track that can take you by train um, through the mountains very quickly to other provinces. Speaking of deserts and mountains, especially deserts, I'd like to mention the children's book by, what? how do you pronounce his name? Alan Temperley. And the name of this children's book is The Magician of Samarkand. Some of you might have read this book. Some of your children might have read this book. I read this book when I was a child, when I was living in Canada. And I remember thinking, oh, this is something that's happening in the exotic East. It's happening in the exotic Middle East. They have domed shape, shaped churches, not churches, mosques, excuse me, and wizards and camels and deserts. It's something from Aladdin. That's what I thought. And I was right at, at some level. I was right. And that Samarkand is the Samarkand that is located here in Uzbekistan, three hours from where I am right now in Tashkent. It is an ancient city located on the Silk Road with beautiful Muslim architecture and beautiful mosques and, of course, camels and maybe some musicians, ah, magicians, maybe. In some parts of Uzbekistan that are still very traditional and conservative, like the Fergana Valley I told you about, women like to draw a black horizontal line, a horizontal black line, that's right, a horizontal black line, across their, the top of their noses between their two eyebrows. They look like Frida Kahlo. They think that having that black line between their two eyebrows, connecting the two eyebrows, makes them look more beautiful. Um, honestly speaking, I think they look better without that makeup. But, you know, everyone has a different taste. <laughs> and you don't see that in the cities. It's just in the very conservative areas. 80% of the population of Tashkent, and probably also of Uzbekistan, is Muslim. But there are regional differences. Like I mentioned before, people in the Fergana Valley are more religious than people living in other regions. 
For example, if you go to central Uzbekistan, where there are a lot of industrial areas, people are not that religious. They dr- they are religious, but not to that extent. They drink alcohol, they smoke. But overall, Uzbekistan is a very religious country. If you go to a mosque in Tashkent, you will always see men praying there, especially if it's prayer time. Compared to, for instance, Kyrgyzstan, which is another Central Asian country that's located um, right next to Uzbekistan, Uzbekistan is very religious. And the mosques that people pray in have these onion-domed, onion-shaped domes that are always painted blue. Uzbeks love the color blue. Everywhere you go, you'll see blue something, a blue train, a blue wall, blue domes. Blue is the color of the mosques here. People here love blue and they also love white. By the way, blue, white, and green are the colors of the Uzbek national flag. White is considered to be a symbol of purity, safety, and peace. In Uzbek, if you want to say, have a safe trip or have a safe journey, you say, sizge ok yol. Ok means white. And if you translate this phrase literally into English, it will sound something like this. I wish you a white road. I wish you a white road means I wish you a safe road. I wish you a safe journey. I wish you a white road. That sounds very poetic, doesn't it? What color is associated with peace or safety in your country? It would be an, that would be an interesting topic to research. Next, let's talk about the Russian influence here in Uzbekistan. Because Uzbekistan used to be part of the Russian Empire and later the Soviet Union, there's quite a lot of Russians living here. But a lot of the Russians moved out of Uzbekistan after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Nevertheless, there are still uh, quite a large Russian population, especially in Tashkent. The architecture, especially in Tashkent, is very similar to cities in Russia, especially to Moscow. When I first landed in Tashkent at Tashkent International Airport, I was like... Wait, did I just come to Moscow? Have I just flown into Moscow? Because this looks like Moscow where I lived 10 years ago. And I was right. Moscow and Tashkent look very similar. The buildings, the huge Soviet-style concrete office office the office buildings and apartment blocks and the huge very wide roads, they look very similar. And also, people say that Tashkent is Russia. Well, it, it's not Russia, but people say, oh, Tashkent, that's Russia. And if you want to see the real Uzbekistan, the authentic Uzbekistan, you have to go to the countryside. You have to go to Samarkand. You have to go to Bukhara. That's what people say. And I think they're right. Tashkent is very much a Russian city. In Uzbekistan, as well as in Tashkent, the capital city, there are people from many different ethnic backgrounds living together in a big melting pot. There are Russians, Uzbeks, Tajiks, Koreans, Turkmens, Kazakhs, and many other ethnic groups living here. Uzbeks, well, obviously it's it's Uzbekistan, so they're living here. (laughs) Tajiks, there is quite a large Tajik population 
in Samarkand and Bukhara. Tajiks understand both Tajik and Uzbek, but Uzbeks only understand Uzbek, so Tajik people speak Uzbek when they're talking to Uzbeks, but they speak Tajik among themselves. It's an interesting historical and political fact that when the Soviet Union drew the borders of the Central Asian states and said, by the way, Samarkand and Bukhara are going to be part of Uzbekistan, many Tajiks living in Tajikistan were not happy because they said, there are so many Tajiks living in Samarkand and Bukhara. Why do those historically significant cities have to go to Uzbekistan, they should be part of Tajikistan. Many people were upset about that, but today there are no conflicts, as far as I know. And there are the Koreans. I talked about this earlier in episode one of my podcast. Why are there local Koreans living here? That's because there was quite a large Korean population living on the territory of Russia during the Soviet Union. And they had become localized. They, they were speaking Russian. They had Russian citizenship. However, during World War II, Stalin, Joseph Stalin, the dictator of the Soviet Union, said, right now we are fighting Japan. And the Japanese people and Korean people look very similar. What if there are some Japanese spies among the Koreans here? And that's the excuse he used for deporting most or all of the Koreans out of Russia into Central Asia. Many Koreans were deported from Russia to the Central Asian states, to Kyrgyzstan and to Kazakhstan, to Uzbekistan. That is why there are many Koreans who speak Russian, sometimes even Uzbek. They, they have Uzbek nationality or they have Kyrgyz nationality. They have they have Kazakh nationality. Their passports are Uzbek, Kyrgyz, or Kazakh, but they are ethnically Korean, and they live in uh, these Central Asian states. Interesting history, right? To add to that, Uzbekistan has another interesting fact or interesting aspect or interesting side to it. It has an independent republic within its borders, and that republic is called the Republic of Karakalpakstan. Oof. Karakalpakstan <laughs> is an autonomous republic within Uzbekistan. It occupies the whole northwestern part of Uzbekistan. The capital is Nukus. And the Republic of Karakalpakstan has an area of 160,000 square kilometers. The official languages there are Karakalpak and Uzbek. What's interesting is that the Karakalpaks is another separate ethnic group living within Uzbekistan. They have their own republic, they have their own culture, they have their own language. However, there are still they are still a part of Uzbekistan. Having an independent republic within a sovereign state. That might sound a little bit strange, but at least it sounded strange to me when I first heard about it, because there are no independent republics within Japan or Canada. But when I studied in Russia, I found out that there are independent republics within the Russian Federation. And I visited one of them. I went to Kalmykia, 
that's an independent republic in southern Russia. They have their own language, they have their own republic, they have their own laws, they have their own culture, and they are a separate ethnic group. Interestingly, it's still a part of Russia. There are other independent republics within the Russian Federation, and there are many of them. So I'm just going to mention a couple of them here. Uh, there is the Republic of Buryatia, the Republic of Chechnya, the Republic of Dagestan, the Republic of Ingushetia, the Republic of Udmurtia, and the Republic of Kakassia, and many other, or many others, in the Russian Federation. It's a little, it's a concept that's a little bit hard to wrap your mind around. I will talk about Kalmykia and the time I visited the Republic of Kalmykia in one of my episodes on my podcast very soon. So stay tuned. That was all, folks, about Uzbekistan. Now let's start talking about Tashkent, the best places to visit in Tashkent, the capital city of the amazing country you've just heard a lecture about. Was that a lecture or a ramble? I'm not sure. Well, yeah, well, I like to think of it as a, as a talk. A lecture sounds too formal. Ramble sounds too informal. So I'll go with like the mid-middle, like the, the safest. I'll, I'll, yeah, the talk. Let's say the talk of, about Uzbekistan, the amazing country about which you have just heard about in my talk. And let's begin. Before I do that, I just want to mention that when I'm talking about Tashkent, I will use many adjectives. Adjectives are words that describe the quality of a noun. And I, when I use these adjectives, I want you to think about why I'm using that adjective to describe that thing. Sometimes I will explain the meaning of the adjectives. Again, this podcast is for English learners. Therefore, even when I'm talking about things like Tashkent or Uzbek cuisine, I will link that, I will connect that in some way to the learning of the English language. And in this episode, I will use adjectives to describe the places you can visit in Tashkent. Here we go. First of all, strictly speaking, this place is not located in Tashkent, but it's located close to Tashkent, so I will include it in my list. It's called the Greater Chimgan National Park, and it's located two to four hours away from Tashkent. I think you can drive over there, and I've heard that people love hiking there. It's a great hiking spot. If you're into hiking or nature, I recommend going to the Greater Chimgan National Park. Uzbekistan is full of mountains where you can hike. If you love hiking in groups or solo, Uzbekistan will be a great destination for you. Let's go into the city of Tashkent. The first place you want to visit is the Hazrati Imam Complex. Hazrati Imam Complex. Oh, Hazrati Imam Complex. That sounds like a spell from Harry Potter. Wingardium Leviosa. Alo Homora, Expecto Patronum, Hazrati Imam. <laughs> These Uzbek names sound like Harry Potter spells. Think of them as Harry Potter spells. If you say Hazrati Imam Complex, 
to the taxi driver. He's going to take you to this beautiful、um, place where there are a lot of mosques. So it is basically like a Harry Potter spell. You say it, and then magic happens. I'm talking about the Hazrati Imam complex that's located in Al Mazarski district. On this territory, there are several mosques. First of all, the Hazrati Imam Mosque, and even if you are a woman, if you tell them that, "Oh, I'm a tourist. I'm a foreigner. Can I go inside?" then they will let you in. So you can explore the exterior and the interior of this beautiful mosque. And right opposite. This mosque, you will see Barakon Madrasasi, another Harry Potter spell. Barakon Madrasasi, okay, <laughs> okay, and this place is beautiful. The designs on the walls of the mosque are very intricate. Intricate. What does that mean? That's an adjective. Intricate means that it is very. It, something has a lot of different parts and small details that fit together, intricate. So complex and very subtle, intricate. These intricate designs on the walls of, especially the entrance of the mosques, are worth seeing and worth taking photos of. Very beautiful. And also, if you、uh, maybe two or three minutes walk away from this place, you will see the Kaful Shoshi Makbarasi. Kaful Shoshi Makbarasi. That's another Harry Potter spell. This is a mausoleum, mausoleum,、mm-hmm, where a famous person is buried. I don't remember who, but it's also another beautiful building that you can check out. Right in between Hazrati Imam and Barakam Madrasasi, there's a relatively large square, and within that square, there's a small building. If you go inside, you will see the so-called oldest Islam book in the world. The Islam book is called a the oldest Quran, the oldest Quran in the world. People say it's the oldest Quran. I'm not sure if it is, but it is said to be the oldest Quran in the world. It's a pretty big book. You can see it exhibited in there. Next, let's go. Oh yes, and I must mention that the Hazrati Imam complex is very grand. Grand. That's an adjective. It means impressive and large. All of the buildings in this complex are impressive and large. Therefore, grand. Next, you want to check out Kokaldosh Madrasasi. Or I think Professor McGonagall taught me that spell in grade one. Kokaldosh Madrasasi. All right, and okay, <laughs>、uh, you can spell that K O K A L D O S H, or you can alternatively spell it as K U K E L D E S H. Kokaldosh or Kukeldesh Madrasasi. This is another beautiful mosque that is located about ten or fifteen minutes walk away from Chorsu Metro Station. Metro Station, you can also say subway station. This place is very tranquil. Tranquil. That's an adjective that means quiet and peaceful. A synonym of tranquil is serene. S e r e n e. Tranquil is T r a n. Q U I L. The mosque is quiet and peaceful. It's serene. It's tranquil. You can say this forest is very tranquil. It's very peaceful. It's very calm. 
Kokeldosh Madrasasi is very pretty, it's very beautiful, but it's still a functioning school for boys who want to become imams. Therefore, you're not allowed to go into the mosque itself. You just have to kind of stand outside near the entrance, gazing in at the beautiful and sacred courtyard. And if you try to go inside, this, you know, very scary looking big, this big guard will approach you and say, don't go, don't go in, don't go in. And you'll be like, okay, okay, sorry. <laughs> Next stop is Chorsu Bazaar. If you've ever heard of Uzbekistan, or, or if you've ever seen a YouTube video of Uzbekistan, you'll definitely, you will have heard of this name, Chorsu Bazar, because it is the most famous bazaar in Tashkent, and it also happens to be the biggest one. It's located inside an enormous dome building, but there are products that are being sold inside as well as outside the dome. So check out both the outside part and the inside part. Inside the dome, people are selling meat, huge chunks of meat. I had never seen anything so big in my life. The first thing I was wondering was what happens to the meat when it becomes rotten? I asked my Uzbek teacher and she told me that once the food that are sold at these bazaars become rotten, they start rotting, they go bad. The people take this food to um, homeless people or to people who can't afford the food, like, and they give the rotten food to these people for free. So that means that if you don't have money in, in Uzbekistan, if you don't have money for food, you can always go to a certain place where you will be able to get rotten food. Rotten, not rotten, maybe starting to, like, food that is starting to rot. It's a good thing that the food doesn't go to waste, don't you think? Chorsu Bazaar is very large. Outside the dome, you'll see people selling like vegetables and fruits and like socks and mittens and hats and shoes and traditional dishes and souvenirs. Everything, everything is sold at Chorsu Bazaar. A bazaar in Uzbek basically means market. So you can translate this as Chorsu Market. And Chorsu Bazaar or market is bustling. Bustling, that's another adjective. B-U-S-T-L-I-N-G. Bustling. That means full of people moving about in a busy way. That is exactly what Chorsu Bazaar is. Chorsu Bazaar is bustling, huge, enormous, and vast. Vast means extremely large in area, size, or amount. Next up, let's mm, go to some cultural facilities, shall we? Let's go to Uzbekistan Davlat Tarihi Musei. Don't worry, that was not English, that was Uzbek. <laughs> All right, in English, that would be the State Museum of the History of Uzbekistan. This place has two floors and they have exhibits about the history of Uzbekistan from the age of the dinosaurs, the Stone Age, to the modern day. That's a very vast time span to cover, which means that they have a lot of exhibits, many things that were excavated, bones and ancient tools, and ancient monuments and stone statues that were unearthed by archaeologists. The exhibits there are very informative, Informative is an adjective. It means giving useful information. You can also say educational. Educational means 
providing education or connected with education. The exhibits at the State Museum of the History of Uzbekistan are very informative and educational. You will go in as a layman and exit the museum as a scholar. That's how informative the exhibits are. Next up, let's go to Uzbekistan Davlat Sanatr Muse, the State Museum of Art of Uzbekistan. This is, as you might have already guessed from the name, the Art Museum. And it has four floors. And my favorite floor is the third floor because that's where you can see the modern art uh, drawn by modern Uzbek and Russian artists. And the modern art on the third floor is beautiful. It's mind-blowing. It's very surreal, very powerful and unique. I've been to this museum once, but next time I go, I want to take a pencil and notebook uh, not a notebook, a sketchbook with me, and I want to sketch some of the modern artwork that's exhibited there. Next up, the Amir Timur Museum. Amir Timur is the name of a historical leader or hero who is said to be the father of modern Uzbekistan. This museum is dedicated to Amir Timur and his descendants. Right Next to, well, not right next to, very close to this museum, you will find Amir Timur Square, which is a typical, a normal square with a huge statue of Amir Timur in the middle. Where would you like to go next? Let's go for a walk. Let's go to Tashkent City Park. Tashkent City Park is a vast park with entertainment facilities that was constructed and which opened very recently. So it's a new place. And like everything in the Soviet Union, it is big. And you can walk around this park for fun. There are lots of playgrounds there for kids. Within Tashkent City Park, there's also a planetarium. If you go into the planetarium, you can see several shows, like IMAX shows, like 3D shows. And one of the shows is, believe it or not, it's a 20 or 25 minute tour of Uzbekistan, but from the sky. So you feel like you're flying through the air over Uzbekistan and you get to see the most famous historical, like world heritage sites of Uzbekistan from the sky in 3D. And the visuals are stunning. I recommend you to see that show if you have time. It's very beautiful. And there's also a Madame Tussauds um, doll museum within the planetarium that's also worth checking out. And if you want to walk some more, let's go to Magic City. Magic City is, shall we say, the Disneyland of Tashkent. It is basically Disneyland. It has, you know, a castle, an illuminated castle. At night, it's illuminated. And they have lots of shops. They have lots of cafes. Very nice streets. Walking in Magic City, you almost feel like you're in Europe. It's basically Disneyland. And within Magic City, there's a movie theater, and it's called uh, Magic Cinema. You can watch any movie anytime there, Magic Cinema. But the movies will be dubbed into Russian. So if you want to see a Disney movie in Russian, go to Magic Cinema. Humo Arena is located 10 minutes away from Magic City on foot. So you can just walk there after you go to Magic City. Humo Arena, inside there are lots of you know facilities, but outside the arena, sometimes they have nice shows or gigs. When I went there um, in early January, they, they had a lot of illuminations. 
and it was very beautiful. They were also doing a concert show, like a gig. Children were dancing and singing. Later on, adults were dancing and singing. The illuminations were beautiful. The huge Christmas tree there was beautiful, and the gigs were also enjoyable. Let's go back to some artwork, shall we? If you are an art fan, if you love art, then I recommend that you go to the Uzbekistan State Applied Arts Museum. This museum is located close to Kosmonaftlar metro station, and I'm going to talk about that a bit later. But about the Applied Arts Museum, they have beautiful carpets, handmade carpets. That have traditional、uh, designs on them, and the traditional designs on these Uzbek carpets are very intricate, very abstract, very decorative, decorative, yeah, and very ornate, ornate, O R N A T E. That means decorative, having very many decorations and very being very intricate and beautiful. Check out the ornate and intricate and beautiful carpets at the Uzbekistan State. Applied Arts Museum. Next up, Kosmonaftlar Metro Station. Kosmonaftlar Metro Station is a metro station. You can also say subway station in Tashkent. And the place where you board the train, the platform, and the walls there are decorated like they have portraits of famous astronauts. The theme of this metro station is、um, space travel because cosmonaut means astronaut in Russian. So it means, in English, it would mean the astronauts' metro station. There are portraits of famous Russian Soviet astronauts on the walls of the subway station. There's also a a portrait of the famous、um, cosmologist from ancient Uzbekistan. His name is Mirza Ulukbek, on the wall of this subway station, and their portraits are very artistic, very beautiful. This, you know, the subway station is, itself is like a, an art gallery. Another subway station or metro station you want to check out is Pakhtakor Metro Station, Pakhtakor. Means like a a person who picks cotton. Uzbekistan is known for its cotton cotton production, and the theme of this metro station is cotton picking. So there are abstract, intricate, ornate designs of cotton on the walls of the subway station, and it's very artistic, very beautiful. Another subway station is Gafur Gulam Metro Station, another metro station that you want to check out. That is, this one also has very abstract, very surreal, artistic designs and illustrations on the walls of the subway station itself. Another one that you want to check out is Alisher Novoy Metro Station. The subway station itself, the platform is like a cathedral. The ceiling is very high, and there are pillars, and the wall is blue. These metro stations, these subway stations in Tashkent, are very artistic, very impressive places. That's another thing that makes me think that Tashkent is similar to Moscow, because Moscow also has beautiful metro stations, beautiful subway stations that were constructed during the Soviet era, and these beautiful metro stations in Tashkent. Were also constructed during the Soviet era. So the Soviets had something for subway stations. <laughs> they, 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 they loved making their subway stations very creative. You know, very artistic. And each station is is like a, 
a palace or an art gallery. It's amazing how much money and time and craftsmanship the Soviets must have put in to the into these enormous projects. And there, there's not just one; there are many of them. <laughs> these are just the the main the 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 most beautiful metro stations that I suggest you visit when you are, if you are ever in Tashkent. Now, I have many other places that I want to introduce to you. Many other places in uh, Tashkent, that is. However, the list goes on, and it's very long. And I thought I think I've given you a lot of information already. At least that's like enough information for one sitting, right? For one day. Therefore, I will finish this episode right now, and I will make another episode. Maybe, you know, maybe after maybe I don't know five or ten episodes, maybe. You know, after five or ten episodes, I will make another episode about the best places to visit in, in Tashkent, and I will make make it obvious that it is the continuation of this episode. And in that episode, I will cover the rest of the sites of Tashkent. And for now, I would like to say to all of you, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here and for being with me on this tour of Tashkent. You will you will get more of this later on. Don't worry. And in the next episode, I will interview my very good friend Emily Rose. Emily Rose is I'm going to give you a trailer now. Okay, she is from New Zealand. She taught English in Spain for three years, so she was also an English teacher. She also taught yoga in Spain and New Zealand. She taught yoga. In prison in New Zealand, don't worry. She was not a prisoner in New Zealand. She never committed a crime. Well, not at least not that I know of. And no, she was not a prisoner teaching yoga in prison. She was a volunteer yoga teacher teaching yoga in prison in New Zealand. She worked previously with refugees in New Zealand, and she currently works for the New Zealand government. And she will talk to us about her experiences and give us advice and tips about the best ways to learn English. Very exciting! So let's look forward to that episode. See you soon in the next episode. Have a wonderful day.